T-boned the car, and it ejected him out, broke his neck, and he died suddenly. It was a horrific wreck. Come to find out that this young lady, her name was Laura Welch. She's come to find out that the young man that was killed was her boyfriend. She wasn't even aware of it at that moment. He was killed instantly. This drove her into a very deep, deep depression. She was totally removed from life itself. She herself just was so depressed. It took years for her to ever come out of it. And she just blamed herself, and it was a, a really, really bad wreck. But it drove her into a deep relationship with Jesus Christ. She started attending church every Sunday and would never miss a service and soaked up everything the Lord's word had for her. And she just began to grow greatly in her faith. She depended solely on the Lord. That wreck was a very defining moment in her life that turned her, turned her to a relationship with Christ and her faithfulness to church. Well, years and years later, she found a, a very nice man that she fell in love with. He was a wealthy young man. And they fell in love and they got married and had some children. And it wasn't long before another bad event took place in her lives. Her husband began to drink seriously. In fact, the drinking became such a serious problem that she went to him one day and said, you're either going to have to leave or I'm going to have to leave. You're going to have to choose alcohol or choose our marriage because we can't have both. And the husband decided that he would change. He went to church with her, and he embraced her faith and radically changed his life once, once and for all. And their marriage was saved. It was another bad incident, but God used it. And then it wasn't long before her husband was elected as president of the United States, and his name was George W. Bush. And then it wasn't long that 9-1-1 took place, the crashing of the towers. Laura went on to say that it was such a devastating blow. But she said as she looks back, look, looked at her life in retro retrospect, she could see how God used every one of the bad situations in her life to drive her in a place to prepare her for the tragedies ahead of time. And she shared how that from that terrible car wreck when she was 17 years old, that she was responsible of the death of her own boyfriend and how that that impacted her life. And then her marriage almost went down the tubes and how that she had to confront that issue and, and how she had to get through that very dark time in her life. But she said all of that prepared her for the most intense, the worst day of their lives when they got the phone call that the Twin Towers were hit in New York City. The Pentagon was hit. And then there was an attempt on the capital of the United States. She talked about the very darkest day. But she said, you know, God has a way to help us to keep balanced during difficult times. How can we find balance in a troubled world? In fact, Without notice or warning, life can throw a lot of troubling things at you pretty quick. The Apostle Paul said this in Acts 20, 24. He says, but my life is worth nothing to me unless I use it for finishing the work assigned by me by the Lord Jesus. The work of telling others the good news about the wonderful grace of God. 
You see, nothing is so unnerving than being hit with life-changing challenges that alter your life for a lifetime. We might be facing something big this year or next month. Or maybe we've already experienced a very difficult tragedy in our life. The world has a way to mess up with your equilibrium and cause you to lose balance. And yet no one is exempt from unannounced trouble that comes to our doorstep overnight. Most of us start out well in life. I looked at the other day as uh, we were going through some pictures and photos in our house. And I saw pictures of myself when I was in my 20s. And I I just stared at that picture and I thought, now there's a stress-free guy. And I looked at that picture, and I had a lot of hair, and I didn't have many wrinkles, and I just looked so vibrant and just like, I'm ready to charge the world. And I thought to myself, here I am now, 64, looking back in my 20s, thinking, son, you got a long path ahead of you. It's amazing what life can do to us. We constantly live under the umbrella of disappointment, believing our life has been shipwrecked for good, and there's no way again we can ever be happy or normal again when bad things happen to us. And when we lose balance, we lose perspective, which leads to a life out of sync and a life out of misery. How can we retain balance when we we get hit with something so hard in life? in this very unpredictable world? Is there quality of life beyond life-changing challenges that seem to kind of wreck our joy and wreck our life? Is it possible that we can be happy and normal and fulfilled in life again? And no doubt about it, we can. In fact, living in this world is painful, and I have found, and I think everyone would agree here, that life is not easy. If you believe that today, say amen. You don't have to travel very far down this road to know that life can serve you some pretty hard blows and that can knock you off your feet. But it's amazing how the Apostle Paul was hit trial after trial, hardship after hardship, and disappointment after disappointment. Yet at the same time, this man was able to maintain a sense of balance and go on to serve the Lord and not lose his mind. In fact, Acts chapter 20, verse 26, near the end of Paul's life, he says, I declare today that I have been faithful. If anyone suffers eternal death, it's not my fault, for I didn't shrink from declaring all that God wants you to know. In other words, I stayed fulfilled in my mission, even though I've been beat up all along this path of life. The apostle Paul lived a life of constant trouble. He had shipwrecks. He had imprisonments. He had beatings, he had heartaches, tears, and sorrow. He had severe rejection. And in verse 24, in the King James Version, he says this, none of these things move me. He was able to keep his equilibrium. He was able to maintain a sense of balance. And Paul is implying that life-changing challenges have the powerful potential to move you away from a normal life. It can move you from a life of faithfulness and purpose. How can we find balance when trouble hits us? Now, why did I preach this sermon? Because I know many of you, and I've been with you in the trenches, many of you know what it's like when life just slams you with troubles, unexpected problems that, that come alongside of you and can really railroad you. And there are so many Christians that when they get hit, they, they begin to question the goodness of God or they question the faithfulness of God and, and they, be, they, they begin to be filled with doubt and despair and they walk away from their faith. The Apostle Paul 
was an icon. He's an icon because of the adversity that he faced, and yet he maintained his walk and his mission as a believer. How can we find balance in a troubled world? Here are three anchors that can keep you balanced and grounded, and I want to share them briefly with you this morning. Number one, we have to guard against self-pity. Guard against self-pity. Acts 20, 19 says, I have done the Lord's work humbly and with tears. I have endured the trials that came to me from the plot of the Jews. Now, the Apostle Paul could have felt easily fell easily into the trap of self-pity when he came under the attack and the opposition of Jewish leaders. They didn't like the fact that he was preaching the gospel of Christ. They didn't like the fact that, that he was promoting Jesus Christ, who was the Savior of the world. They loved to put their faith in the Jewish traditions. And here the Apostle Paul was liberating people from the law and opening a door of grace. And they resented the fact that he was destroying the very religious system that they had prided themselves. And they plotted of how they could kill the Apostle Paul, how they can imprison him, how they could beat him down to bring him to the place that he would just throw in the towel and quit. They wanted to, to get rid of him altogether, and they constantly were plotting and creating conspiracies how to destroy him. Tragedy and misfortune strike people every day. We open the newspaper and we read about terrible things that happen to others. And we ourselves are not immune from having bad things happen in our lives. And as bad as these things are, there is something even worse. And that is the tragedy itself. And that is falling into a pit of self-pity. The Apostle Paul could have said, I'm out of here just trying to preach the gospel. I'm just trying to help people to, to, to know the Lord as Savior. But yet at the same time, I got people trying to kill me he could have said woe is me this is unfair this is not right and he could have quit and we wouldn't have the new testament gospels of all the churches of the church of corinth the church of thessalonica or the church of Colossae. we wouldn't have all of those precious books or the the pauline epistles because he would have quit a long time ago if he fell into the pit of self-pity you see, wallowing in self-pity, like all habits, it's hard to overcome once we become accustomed to it and we become comfortable with it and we find that it's hard to do without. There is something in all of our Adamic nature, our old sinful nature, that we have a tendency to feel sorry for ourselves when we go through hardships. You see, self-pity allows us to feel that we're victims. It's how we begin to define ourselves, and it creates a distorted feeling of security. It gives us an excuse for not trying. It, it gives us the what's-the-use attitude. It's been said that nice things about self-pity is, is that you can't, you can't, if you can't get others to feel sorry for you, you can always feel sorry for yourself. It's natural for us at times to feel sorry for ourselves. We've done it before, and in reality, it never eases the pain of our trials. But when it turns into who we are, we continue to dwell on our problems, and we begin to convince ourselves that we're victims, and we're in the hands of some unfair, uncontrollable fate, and then it becomes detrimental to our well-being. 
If we permit ourselves to dwell on all the unfair things that happen to us in life, all of the injuries in life, we are more likely to use them to justify ourselves of yielding to other destructive habits. We have a way of detaching from God. If God don't care, I don't care. I just become reckless. I've seen so many people when bad things happen, and I don't know why bad things happen to good people. All I know is that God is perfect in every way, and if we've got conflict and problems, it is because we brought it upon ourselves in the Garden of Eden because God put us in a perfect place. He put us in a perfect environment, and he said, enjoy a relationship with me, but just stay away from that tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But no, it was man. It was man's volition. It was his will to disobey God, and we stepped over the boundary, and we have all fallen like a bunch of dominoes into sin, and now we're dealing with the consequences of death, sorrow, and disease. If you want to get angry about all the bad things that happen in life, don't get mad at God. Get angry at the devil because he's the one that led us down this path. We can lose our equilibrium when bad things happen. The solution is to realize that your unhappiness and depression is caused by being focused only on our troubles. When we're continually focused on our troubles, it becomes at a price of excluding all others. And this self-absorption is like a fence around us that keeps those who would like to reach out to us a lending hand of encouragement. I found that we have to focus off ourselves and begin to see that there are those around us, including the Holy Spirit, who desires to reach in and help and to lift us up in the faith. In the face of great hardships and attack, the Apostle Paul refused to fall under the trap of self-pity. Helen Keller said, self-pity is our worst enemy, and if we yield to it, we can never do anything good in the world. Self-pity is one way that we keep ourselves from losing our balance. And then number two, reactivate our purpose in life. When we're going through a painful time, we have a tendency to easily lose focus on what's really important or what is our mission in life. What is our purpose in life? We go into surviving mode. We pull in. We, we pull the shutters. We close all the windows. We close the door. We, we become very inclusive. We, we become very recluse. And we detach ourselves from the calling that God has given us in life. I like what Paul said in Acts 20 and 20 through 21. I never shrank back from telling you what you needed to hear, either publicly or in your homes. I have had one message for Jews and Greeks alike, the necessity of repenting from sin, turning to God, and having faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul said, when I was in prison, I remembered my purpose, and that was to preach the gospel. When I was being beaten out behind the temple, I remembered my purpose, and that was the preaching of the gospel of Christ. Reactivating our purpose in life is the second way we keep balance in a troubled world. Paul mentally refused to resign from his God-given purpose. He could have quit. He could have sulked under constant hatred and the physical suffering from the Jewish leaders, but instead he used his pain to drive him deeper into his God-given mission. This pain and misery that Paul felt actually catapulted him into a mental state 
of fulfilling his mission. Look at the active verbs of that verse. He says, I never shrank back. I'd never stopped. Even though I was in pain, you know he was in pain. He likes to be loved just like you love to be loved. He didn't like rejection no more than you'd like rejection. He didn't love to be beat and stoned and left for dead. He didn't like to be dragged into some kind of prison, which are not the prisons like we have today. Many times there were a dark, dank hole, and it was half filled with water, and there were rats down there, and he had to survive months and months at a time in a very dark, dismal place with hardly any food. But he says, I never shrank back. I constantly were was telling people about the gospel of Jesus Christ because that was my purpose in life. Under the duress of suffering, it takes an enormous amount of mental energy to discipline yourself to remain steady in your God-given mission in life. Even though you feel inept and you feel depleted and there's nothing left inside of you, there is something still driving you to do what you need to do because you know God wired you to serve him despite of the pain in life. So in order to maintain balance, in, in order for you to accomplish what God has wired you to accomplish in life, it's going to take a mindset to say, what is my purpose in, in life? And anchor that in your life and stay true to him. Problems happen to everyone. And sometimes when we go through a painful, acute problems, we have a tendency to think that no one else suffers like we suffer. Isn't that true? We think we're the only ones out there, and we have a tendency to isolate ourselves and to pull away and to quit and to resign. But Paul said, in the most difficult, intense pressure, he said, it is then I have to reactivate my purpose. Why am I here? What am I called to do? And let me tell you something. You're not here in this world just to collect a paycheck at the end of the week. You're not here just to, to go through the mundane circle of survival. But you are here to, to serve the King of kings and the Lord of lords. You're here, and you were designed in the mind of God and by the hand of God to fulfill his plan and his purpose in this world at this particular time of life. God wants to use you. God needs you. You're part of the body of Christ. You need to function like all the members of my body need to function in concert together with the brain and with the mind. And Jesus is the head of the church, and we need to constantly submit to him so we can be used of him that we might impact the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven. When we're hurting, it's easy to fall into the temptation of pulling away from the, mis the mission and the purpose God's designed for us. I have found that inactivity enhances depression and futility. We have to get back to the work God has intended for us and remain faithful to the end. When my mom died, they had this on the bottom of the feet of her casket. And, and, and there was this little saying that, that really stuck with me. Be thou faithful unto death, and I will give thee a crown of life. And that woman was faithful, serving God. Amen. Just about a week before she died, she carried her Bible and went to church. She was sick. She was so sick. They said, my dad said, she could barely hold her head up. But she said, I got to go to church. And then she died the following Sunday. Be thou faithful unto death. There's so many godly Christian people 
who have walked through the darkest and the most bleak, most horrible circumstances, and yet they are able to keep trotting along and staying faithful right to their last breath. They die with their boots on serving Jesus. And that is because they have reactivated their purpose and their mission in life is I must serve the King of kings and Lord of lords because soon I will see the King in all of his glory. And I want to hear those blessed words, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Well done. Well done. You're not immune from the problems of life. None of us are. But we're never to pull back and shrink away and and, and to disconnect ourselves from the very calling that God has given all of us. Life has meaning and purpose when we fill our lives with the mission that pleases him. We begin to find a greater purpose outside of our hurt and distractions when we begin to serve others. Paul said this in our text. He said, I have served the Lord with purpose. And he says, I served the Lord three ways. Number one, I served him with a spirit of humility. I served him with a spirit of humility. Sometimes we got to get over ourselves. Someone said, I, I can't serve the Lord anymore because I heard some people gossiping about me. Great Scott. You got to get past, you just got to get past people. Look to your neighbor and say, I'm getting past you. Can you do that? Come on. You just got to get past people. Have you found this? People are going to comment on something. They're going to think of something of you. They're going to make an opinion of you. That's what Paul says. It means nothing to me what you, what you say about me. I don't care how you judge me in the court of human opinion. My thing is I want to please the Lord and I want to serve him with all of my heart and all my ability. I'm going to serve him. Amen. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> serve him with all humility. Paul says I, I humbly serve the Lord. Man, some of those old Jewish leaders, they ripped on him. They called him every name in the book. They called him sorry, a destructive animal, a beast. A man, they went out, bloodthirsty wolves to rip him apart. But Paul humbly served the Lord. Never once you see Paul becoming angry and vindictive and bitter and caustic. Never once yet, the Bible says, He not only served with humility, then the Bible says, I served with tears. In other words, he had a compassion and an empathy for people. He served with tears. And then the Bible says, he served with a spirit of enduring trials. The word enduring trials refers to pressure being put down on him. This constant pressure. And he was able to endure the pressures and the problems that came around him. And he made up his mind that he was going to activate his purpose under intense pressure. And he wasn't going to give in. And all of us feel pressure. We all feel pressure in life. But at the same time, we've got to still reactivate our purpose and keep moving forward. And then number three, the third way that we keep balance in a troubled world is we stay focused on our eternal perspective. The good news is we're not going to be here very long. Amen? You're not going to be in your trial very long. For this too shall pass. Acts 20 through 24, this is what Paul says, but my life is worth nothing to me unless I use it 
for finishing the work assigned me by the Lord Jesus, the work of telling others the good news about the wonderful grace of God. Focus on eternal perspective. I was thinking the other day of of the people that I pastored over the years. I thought, how many of them are already in heaven? The congregation that my dad used to pastor way back at Fairwinds, way, way back in the day, back in the 1950s and 60s and 70s. In fact, I, I saw an old picture of the congregation. They had a church picnic, and I'm, I'm like looking at all these people. I'm like, gracious, they're all in heaven, almost all of them. That, my dad's 98, and he has lived to see a whole generation go off to heaven. He's still here. He's wondering why he's still here. I said, that's because you're still influencing people for Christ. He's 98, and he still toddles to church. He carries his old cane, gets in there. He still preaches. 98. Wow. If we can first understand God's plan, we will find a deeper and permanent motivation to remain steady, to keep his purpose and plan. You see, those who lose their eternal perspective or those who lose sight of it make up their own goals and plans and they circumvent God's will for their lives. Their moral and mortal perspective becomes their limited value of life, which only breeds depression and deprivation. Listen, if you live for this world and live only for yourself, it's a short well to drink from. First century Christians almost always experience physical and emotional suffering and social isolation and ridicule and even physical death and persecution. The Thessalonians certainly did. To encourage them, Paul showered them with hearty praise. In fact, this is what he said to them in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 6 and 7. He says, you became, speaking of the church members, you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. They focused on the eternal perspective. You're going to live a lot longer over there than you are here. Life is a short window of time. We had a lady in our church, Betty Owens, passed away this past Monday. She was having pressure on her chest. She was a year younger than I was. The ambulance came by and they said, well, we better take you to the hospital just in case it's the heart. Before she got to the hospital, she, she passed away. Blood clot. Died suddenly. When she got up that morning, she, that was the fur, furthest thing in her mind that she was going to be in eternity. But at the end of the day that she would be standing in the presence of Jesus, she wasn't even thinking about that. She was thinking about their plans all this week and all this next month coming up, thinking about her life and what she had. And here, boom, She's in heaven. For what is your life? It is a vapor and gone. 50 years from now, we're going to be in heaven. And if the Lord tarries and if the rapture doesn't happen, which that would be unbelievable to me, there's going to be another congregation of people sitting here, another pastor. What is our life? 
We need to focus on our eternal perspective, and that is we need to remember that we are going to spend the rest of our life in eternity, but right now is the test tube time. This is the time. This is the exam time. This is the moment that we need to seize. This is the moment that's going to determine our reward in heaven. This is the moment that God is watching, and he's filling the books of heaven with the deeds and the things that we do. This is it. This is the time to perform for Jesus. Don't let the devil sideswipe you. Don't let the devil pull you away. Keep your eternal perspective in place, realizing you are building your wealth in heaven, and do it now. Do it today. Live for Jesus. The Thessalonian Christians. Read the book of Thessalonians, uh, Thessalonians 1, Thessalonians 2. And you read about this wonderful church. They've been in heaven for thousands of years. This wonderful group of saints. How did they do it? Roman soldiers would come in and break up their prayer groups, drag them into prison. Some of them would be beheaded. Some of them would be killed immediately. Some of them would be locked in prison for years and years and forgotten about. How'd they make it? Why didn't their spirit just wither? Why didn't they become so filled with fear that they would just draw up that? Why? How is it that they made it? And that is the fact they did two things. Number one, they turned to God. They wholeheartedly placed their trust in the living and true God who constantly sustained his children. What am I saying? No matter what you're going through today, you have the Lord by your side. He is ready to give you sustained strength to make it through every day of your life. They knew the answer was not in themselves. They knew it wasn't in the idols of this world or any kind of earthly wisdom. They were willing to walk away from what this world offers in order to make spiritual investments in a life that is to come. They turned to God. And then number two, they anticipated the return of Jesus. They believed in their, this is the first century Christians. They they really believed the rapture was going to happen at any moment. Here's for 2,000 years later. And here we are, the church of Jesus Christ. We're still waiting for the coming of Christ. And he is coming. And we're definitely living in the last days. We see all the signs around us. One day we'll be caught up together in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we always be with the Lord. That rapture could happen this week, and how many are ready? Say amen. Amen. The first century Christians had success when they viewed life from an eternal perspective. They said, it doesn't matter if you drag me to jail. It doesn't matter if you cut my head off. No matter what you do to me, you can't scare scare me with, with heaven. Listen, I am heaven bound. I have a citizenship, not in this world, but in the kingdom of the next world. I'm saved on my way to heaven. You can't do anything to me. They had an eternal perspective. You are heaven bound. You are the citizens of God. Your citizenship is already in heaven. Your seat has your name on it in the heavenlies. You have a throne already to rule and reign with Christ forever. You are a child of the king. You are important and God loves you and God is waiting for your time and your number to come. And when he calls your name, you'll fly out of this mud puddle and quickly enter to the gates of heaven. Your greatest days are ahead greatest days are ahead. 
As we navigate the peaks and the valleys of this life, we anticipate a day of deliverance and rest. A day of rest. When we enter into heaven, no more pressure, no more depression, no more unsolved problems, no financial debt, because he's he owns it all. And he, we're joint heirs with Christ. We're going to enjoy the wealth of heaven. We're going to live in a state of bliss. We're going to live in a state of happiness. No conflict. No problems. No problems with grandkids. No problems with kids. No problems with your spouse. Perfect harmony. We're going to enjoy the green fields of heaven. We're going to enjoy the city of God. We're going to enjoy worshiping at the throne of God. We're going to enjoy seeing Jesus teach us lessons about the universe and about the things of yet to come. We're going to enjoy a state of bliss. We're going to be in the family of God, and it's not some whimsical cloud. We are going to be very much plugged into the city and the program of God, and we're going to be a part of it. God has great things. No matter what happens in this life, we can always trust Jesus to get us through. No matter what happens in this world, we have Jesus. We have him. We always have him. Whenever I get oh, hit, whenever I get decimated by the devil, sideswipe, I love to call on Jesus. I, I, listen, prayer is the best therapy. You don't need all that medication. You just need to curl up in the arms of Jesus, and you just need to ha have a good catharsis. You need just to get your troubles out and just tell him all about it. And there's something about telling Jesus all about our problems that pleases him, that you're coming to him, and let him infuse into you his peace. Let him infuse to you his strength. Let him infuse into you his power to be able to rise above the clouds of sorrow in your life. As Solomon said, amen, give the Lord a hand of praise, amen. Solomon said this, he said, stop living below the clouds and start living above the clouds. What does that mean? The clouds refers to the earth and all that it has to offer. But when you rise above the world, you begin to see that God has greater plans and a greater purpose, and greater provision for your life. Our challenge is simple. We have oriented our life around God's eternal perspective. The apostle's constant focus was the entirety of his life. Paul has been in heaven for a long time, 2,000 years. He probably looks back. I mean, that's just a fleeting thought about the little earthly life he lived. This is what Paul says. The affliction and the troubles that I live through are not worthy to be compared of the glory that is revealed in me right now in heaven. He looks at the weightiness of the trouble he went through to the 2,000 years he has already experienced in heaven. And he thinks, my gracious, you can't outbeat God's great grace and God's mercy. In fact... Paul refers to the events of his life, good and bad, as a course to be taken in God's classroom. God allows hardships and challenges to come into our lives to shape and mold us into the effective, useful servant that he desires. Paul believed 
God would bring everything into eternal, eternal perspective in heaven while we journeyed here on earth. We should depend on him to give us grace to sustain us through the hardships and trials so we might finish the task he has designed for us while keeping our eye on the final goal, our final home, our final reward that he has designed for us. How do we keep balanced? How do we keep balance in a troubled world? Number one, guard against self-pity. Because you're not a victim. God is putting you under that pressure cooker because he wants to teach you something. Number two, you got to reactivate your purpose in the life. Don't forget the mission, why he created you. Thirdly, focus on the eternal perspective. You're not going to be here long. You're going to make it. You're going to make it. If you're a child of God, you, my friend, will breathe your last breath and you'll be finished here. All the textbooks will be closed. The classroom bell will finally ring. School will be out of session. And we get to enter into our eternal rest with him forever. And all God's people said, amen, amen, and amen. But the school bell hasn't rung yet. And our textbooks are still open. And there are a few more lessons, but I will say this. We're getting nearer, nearer, nearer to the last day of school. What am I saying? Let's finish well. Troubles come. God has a plan. God has a purpose. Let's do our best to stay with the stuff. And one day, this life will fade away. A new life will be right in front of us and we're going to see Jesus face to face. And with that loving smile, he'll say, welcome home. Welcome home. And we want to hear his words. Well done. Tim, you did well. You didn't quit. Well done. Welcome into the joy of my home. Keep balance. I know some of you have gone through some hard times. I've talked to you. Wow, some of you have gone through some really tough stuff. Don't get in that trap of self-pity. Won't help you. God allowed it to come for a purpose. Reactivate your purpose. Why are you here? What did God call you to do? And thirdly, step back. Don't get too close to this world. See the eternal perspective. I'm just a pilgrim passing through. Stay focused. Let's pray.